Good morning and welcome. On this morning's programme, we go harvesting leeks in County Kildare, we hike in County Galway, and we hear the pre-show hijinks with the Grana players in County Limerick. I'm Brenda Donoghue and I'm with you this morning until 9am. And good morning to our listeners on farms across the country. If you're calving or if some early lambs have arrived, yes, these first weeks of February are so full of hope for brighter days ahead. And there's nothing more hopeful than planting a seed, as I learned on my visit to an organic farm in Ballytorn County, Kildare. Between poor weather pests, labour shortages, growing organic vegetables is one of the most challenging jobs in agriculture. But if it's the right job for you, then there's no better job. But how do you get started? The Organic Growers of Ireland are currently offering a work placement programme and it is one of the ways to become an organic grower, as I discovered when I visited Liam Ryan's farm in County Kildare. Hello Brenda, how are you? Hiya Liam! I'll just turn off the tractor. Yeah? Bringing up leaks. That's a very old tractor. So it's a classic red Massey Ferguson 35. It's my father's tractor. He had it for a long time and uh, yeah, it's ideal for horticulture because we don't need a heavy tractor. It doesn't take much fuel and um, doesn't drink much fuel and it's very light on the ground and it does all the things we need to do like ridging, basic tilling. It really works hard, does an awful lot of work for us. When did you buy this farm? Uh, so yeah, 2003 we bought two fields here. So I grew up in a, a small dairy farm in North Tipperary. I never found myself really good with animals. And then I um, always liked gardening a little bit. And I went away, lived in London for a long time. So I did more and more home gardening, started doing courses. Then eventually I did a, a two-year apprenticeship in the, in the UK. Then I came back to Ireland with the idea of setting up here. So... Eventually I, I got to two fields here, just started with two fields, there was nothing on them and uh, there, it's very good growing land here in South Kildare, so it's ideal growing land and you're near a lot of big population and that kind of thing, So, and just worked it from there and it was a real learning experience year by year, trying to get better at one thing and another and um, over time then we kind of specialised in what works the best, what sells the best, so we do a lot of salad crops and uh, and uh, hand harvested crops we're not big machinery here so it's hand harvested crops and we buy in bigger crops in from other organic growers like potatoes carrots onions and that kind of thing so yeah and we have a full mixed in at the market to get a really nice uh, selection and yeah for me it's a dream come true I, i love i love working outside and i loved in meeting people it's very social with the farmers market uh, you're meeting customers all the time and you really know where things are going. You, you, you get to talk to people, see what they like. And there's a real community built up between customers and other customers and between us and customers and, and other growers or, and other farmers and everything as well. So we really try and connect everything up, which is a lovely part of this job. Really. So we're going into one of the tunnels here. We're preparing it for a salad in the spring. Sure. And so Louise, who did the 
program here, the work training program, is preparing a bed, raking ground, and we're going to sow solid direct into that. Hello, Louise. Hello. Hiya. Linda. You're working away here. I am. Take a break. Take a break. <laughs> <laughs> but you did the organic placement course here. Tell me about that. I did. I did it uh, back in 2016, actually. Yeah. And uh, it was just such a great way into into this life, you know, into organic growing. And I'm still here working for Liam now, eight years later. So I really enjoy it. Uh, well, you can probably tell from my accent that I, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm from the city. I'm from London originally, but my parents are from here. I used to be, I was teaching and then I was working in homeless services and doing a gardening club. And I just realised I loved gardening. And so I came to Ireland volunteering on a farm and just discovered I really enjoyed this way of life. I was volunteering in Mayo on an organic farm heard about the work placement program and thought oh I wonder could I get onto that you know and came here to Liam's farm in 2016 got a place and it was just such a good experience um, I learned so much just from actually being on a, a real working farm it, it's just you know such a good way to get a whole like holistic picture of what it's like having your own organic business and growing you have to admit it's very hard work and there are challenges you know when the weather is terrible or you're just you know you're working in hard conditions or you're under pressure but the the feeling of of growing your own produce and then bringing it to you know you to your local community and selling it is wonderful and working out in the fresh air um, it's you know that really kind of good tired you have at the end of the day you know after physical work yeah there's nothing more sort of hopeful than than sowing a seed and then just just seeing things develop and learning if no day is the same here and so doing that the program was 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 fabulous for me because you went to farms all over Ireland and you'd come home like brimming with ideas and enthusiasm you know <laughs> I'm gonna try that I could do that so you're doing the theory side, you know, you're learning a lot about organic standards and practices, but you're also, you know, you're just doing the real work outside, you know, alongside an experienced grower who knows what they're doing. And um, there's no better way to learn, really. Move it a bit closer. We can take off the plastic, I suppose. Just coming into the farm shop here, and there's a man wearing many hats, Ronan McReach. Hiya, Ronan. Hey, how you getting on? You are working in the farm shop. I am too. You did the work placement programme with the Organic Growers Ireland. And now what are you doing as well? Well, I'm coordinator yeah. too now as well. So talk about different hats, yeah. my God. Yeah, so. When did yeah. you do the programme? Yeah, it was four years ago, nice. you know, and it was just, it was so good. And it's, it's given me such a platform. I was a career changer, you know, so mm. this is a huge moment for me to be able to find a door you know into into a new world I'm sure i'm from bray originally a townie you know and i'm a blowing everywhere i go <laughs> so it's hard you know it's hard when you find something uh, you love like that and grow and and you're looking for an outlet you know and you don't have land access necessarily as well but you still want to be working in the organic horticulture you're looking for that little bit of help it's a really lovely program because you you're there beside the grower you know you're living their passion for it <laughs> you know <laughs> you're inspired by it you were looking at soil underneath the microscope it's alive you know it's happening it's really exciting 
you enjoy being out in all weathers, if you enjoy harvesting leeks by hand and you're kind of up for a good northwesterly wind, (laughs) you know, maybe a bit of horizontal rain. For someone like me, who's a career changer, and I wish I had heard about it before, you know. Louise, would you help Alex just uh, uh, to start harvesting the corn cells in the tunnel? Liam, the work placement programme, you've had people do it, you've employed them, you must get a lot from it yourself. Yes, so there's people coming here now for 10 years and they bring a lot of enthusiasm, it's a good sharing of knowledge. I love showing people the things uh, we do and the kind of problems we've had and the solutions we've come up with. It's not that it's easy but the challenge is so rewarding and and so fulfilling, it's well worth it, yeah. And that was Liam Ryan from Moyle Abbey Organic Farm. And look, if you're out and about around the Carlo area this morning, Liam and all the gang are selling their wares at the Carlo Farmers Market. And if organic horticulture is your dream, you can check out all the details on organicgrowersireland.com. Now, the country is abuzz with talk of bees. In Turlock Park, the National Museum of Country Life, just outside Castle Bar, there's a new exhibition called The Murmur of Bees, which opened to the public this week. While down in Malyavorni, Ikunda Korkig, they are celebrating Saint Gubnet, patron saint of beekeepers, with a festival. Clodagh Doyle is a keeper of the Folklife Division of the National Museum in Castle Bar, while Padar O'Reardo joins us from Malyavorni. Good morning to you both. David Hassel, good morning. Good morning, Brenda. How are you doing? Enjoying the rain. Right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Listen, Claude, first of all, why bees? What made you think this is the right time to put an exhibition um, like this on? Well, we uh, we have a huge collection of bees in our natural history collection. And, um, and the entomologist is Dr. Aidan O'Hanlon. And, you know, when he heard that I wanted to do an exhibition about an insect he was just so excited because um and bees are obviously they're very topical but just the honeybee is one of our species of bees but there are hundred there's over 110 species in ireland um so it's quite interesting and i've learned so much just putting this exhibition together with Tiernan gaffney and aiden um it's amazing so only the honeybee um only female sting and you know the idea that one bee a bee will die after it stings you that's just one species of bee and I've learned all about bumblebees and everything else well I'm I'm going to give you a quiz now collection Claude I'm going to quiz you in a second but (laughs) bees and honeybees they've been part of life here for centuries Mm. and I believe you've one of the oldest timber beehives on display can you tell us a little bit about that um, well, we've we have a, a beehive on display, and we have it's it's a timber beehive, as you say. It's designed based on the CDB, which is the Congested District Board um, beehive. So, in the, the late eighteen hundreds and the eighteen nineties, the Congested District Board wanted to kind of help people supplement their income, so they subsidised beehives, and they had this particular type of beehive. So we have one of them on display, but it was made in the nineteen fifties and sixties, no, the nineteen. 50s and it was made by John Gallagher who was from Balik in County Fermanagh. 
and he would have made he had 13 hives um, he started with just one swarm of bees in the boot of his car but he, he went on to have 13 hives and we just happened to have one of them so um, I, yeah so his, there's an awful lot that's it yeah. um, Claudia there's yeah. an awful lot on display there and Pather I know later this morning you, you've had bees around you all your life mm-hmm. but you're going to be showing a short film about making a skep can you tell us a little bit about your own connection with bees and about the skep as well? Well, I, I started beekeeping. I was aware of bees all my life growing up. My father, Sean O'Reilly, kept bees when we were originally in Dublin and then later on. But he was the kind of beekeeper that would stand back and let somebody else do the work. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> when he died then, I was 16 going 17, I had to tell the bees that the master was dead. And so I became their new master and promptly... Started finding ways of people that would teach me about them. And one of the things early on was uh, a man called Paddy Creed, who was a friend of a neighbour of mine, Sean Leonard, uh, taught us how to make skeps out of the old sedge grass, or fanon, as we call it, which is much better than straw, which is the European way of doing it. Um, because the fanon has, is a, has not a hollow stem, it's a grass, so it doesn't loosen as it ages. And it's very clean, it's based on acid soil. So it lasts for years and years. So we, I keep bees in skeps. I keep them in WBCs and CDBs and in, in top bear hives lately, which I've seen working in Africa. And can I go back to something you just said earlier there? You talked about your father, uh, Sean O'Reilly, uh, uh, having bees and then telling the bees. I mean, this is a tradition that you tell the bees news. Isn't that right, uh, Pather? Well, and bees, tell us about that particular occasion, if you don't mind. Uh, well, bees have a very close relationship with whoever is managing them. Um, for example, when they're about to swarm at home, often they will come and fly against the window of the kitchen beforehand, as if to alert me to the fact. Or if they want to abscond, they most certainly will not tell me and just disappear when I'm not at the house. But uh, on that occasion, that was a Sunday morning. My father died in a very early Sunday morning. We got the news. And when one of the first people to the house, a great friend of his, told me, did I tell the bees? So I said, no. He said, you better tell them, because there's a custom that they die that winter if the master is dead and they've not been passed on. So I did. I don't know how I did it, but I did. Um, usually people put a little bit of black material on the hives also to show that they're in mourning. Uh, and that's the kind of symbiotic relationship that's there. I don't use equip, um, veils and things usually when I'm beekeeping. Uh, I prefer the other method, which is called a good run. Mm. And when you're listening to them, you know, if they're getting angry and you're you're fiddling with them at a time that they don't want you to. So just quietly close and fold the camp and run away and come back the next day. Takes a lot of knowledge to get to that stage, though, Pather. And Claude, the tradition of telling bees, as as Pather's described his own situation there, but it's, it's widespread across Britain as well. Yeah, it is. And in fact, when Queen Elizabeth II died there recently, I think that was it was said that her the royal beekeeper went out to tell the bees that the Queen had died, you know, so it's very important. And it's kind of about that relationship that humans have with bees and that sense of the respect that humans have always given um, to the bees. And in Ireland, like 
we've always respected bees and you know it's the only insect that we actually manage we don't we've never managed to tell ants how to move things or do anything else we just it's the honeybee is the only um it's the only insect that we actually manage so but yeah it's interesting about telling the bees and telling the bees that the queen had died was just quite incredible really it is. And, and I'm just looking at the whole St. Gubnet connection as well. And and Pather, St. Gubnet is the patron saint of bees and it's her feast tomorrow. Lots planned down your neck of the woods. There is. Yeah, well, this is the first year that a whole lot of Gubnets got together. Great, they started last year yeah, and they decided <laughs> that they would um, uh, come together on St. Abbey's Day or St. Gubnet's Day. And there's a full programme which started last night when they gathered together. And uh, then there is the 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 um, today then there's a whole series of lectures in the Unicultura starting this morning at ten o'clock. Um, there is a, a medieval statue which is called uh, Dal of Government, which is measured uh, for cures uh, once a year when it's pulled out. It's a med- it's very old, and there's two models made of it now so that the wear and tear mightn't be as bad. And uh, Bishop Preen is launching those at quarter past ten. Then we have the archaeologist, the local archaeologist, but the national archaeologist at the same time. Connie Keller is giving a talk. Finbar Moore is giving a talk. Tiernan Gaffney and Conor Lynch, who published a book last year in government, and then I'm finishing it off at quarter past 12. So, and then they're, they're, they're doing a lot of strange things today. Uh, there's a hunt for the, the white deer being organised by Billy O'Hillahead. That's for kids, I think, more than anything. It's just walks, of course, and so on. And then there's a bowling competition at three o'clock for the w- gobnets, only gobnets, you know, <laughs> if you're a Mara gobnet or Eileen gobnet or gobnet or whatever. And then uh, tonight, uh, Emma Langford is giving a concert uh, at uh, um, in the Unit Cultura. Uh, and then tomorrow, obviously, is St. Gobnet's Day, Mass and Coulee, 10, 11, 13, Balivourne. And there's a walk up in the graveyard at, where she's buried at half one. And there's the usual annual prayers. There are three. And then there's, uh, uh, you can do the measure and another mass at four in Ballywood. And then there's uh, the Rinky Homer, the dancing yeah. school, are doing an exhibition on St. Gubnet. Pather, Pather. Yeah. I wish I was called Gubnet. I'm really missing <laughs> out. <laughs> Listen, oh, you'd have fun this weekend. <laughs> we'd have fun. Listen, it all sounds amazing. And it, it's incredible the connection between the exhibition and between the festival as well. It's so good of you to talk to me. And if you're in West Cork, you can find out details, although you've heard them all there from Pather of Fela Nave Gubnet on goeltokmuskerig.ie and the murmur of bees will continue at the National Museum in Turlock for the rest of this year and beyond. And I'm just thinking about it, it is the midterm. So, you know, it could be a lovely thing to do uh, with your children, not just this midterm, but as I said, it's going on for the rest of the year and beyond. Thank you both very much. Enjoy the rest of the day. Gormila Mahagwiv. Thank you. Now, on last week's programme, we heard from Gerard Butler. He's a lighthouse keeper at Gallyhead in County Cork. He told us the story of the voyage of the sailing ship, the Joseph Spratt, from the South China Sea in 1871 to where it was wrecked off the Cork coast on the 20th of February, 153 years ago this month. All souls on board are believed to have perished, but one small girl survived. Her life was saved by the foresight of her parents who strapped her to a chest which floated as the ship sank. The little girl grew up in Ireland and became a nurse in London. 
a countrywide listener, John Davenport from County Wicklow. He heard the story last week on the programme. He emailed us this poem he wrote in response. This is The Sea Gift. When the storm came, the first thing they thought of was how light she was and how she would not survive the battering. But there was a travel chest in that nook cabin, so they strapped her to the lid before it got too bad, before the ship broke bit by bit and the water poured and the sailing ship went down. Nothing and no one came up from that swell but a small sealed chest bopping on the surface of life with two hands bleaching on its top. After they found her, beached, frozen, and untied her, and brought her to our fireside, she began to thaw and live among us as one of our own. Not a mermaid, not different, but very much a girl, wanted by life, not death, untethered by the very ties that bind. The girl became a woman and a nurse, and the circle closed, love being the thing that lifts all souls, like a soft tide rising. Perhaps some nights, when she sat lonely, a moon would rise into the high window and sail there alone in a blue-black sea, and she would think of frantic fingers making love knots in the darkness, and how hot, just how hot, is the feeling of love. And having heard only the bones, is it my place to pull her story from the deep? But I do it in good faith. I do it only to say that we all live in the space made by others, in this small island of our earth. And that is John Davenport reading his poem, The Sea Gift. John, thanks so much for sending it in and for recording it for us. We really do appreciate it. Lots more coming up on Countrywide after this quick break. Email countrywide at rte.ie Countrywide on RTE Radio 1. And you're very welcome back to Countrywide this morning. It's Brenda here um, until nine o'clock. Five one double five one is our text. Now, there is a sweet spot between the new year and spring calving where local drama groups take to the stage in the dairy heartlands. Down in Grana, near Croom in County Limerick, the Grana players have been entertaining the crowds with a play called The Huckle Book. With a last performance tonight in the community hall, it is true to say that there's as much action and drama behind the scenes as there is on stage, as Dermot McIntyre of Grey Heron Media discovered. Lights on, some heat, filling up the kettle for all the teas and coffees. The cast like a, a little coffee before they start. Seems to give them a kick. So we have to do that, have to do that. Is it all ready? Mary O'Regan is my name. We're in Granite Community Centre getting ready to put on our production of The Huckle Book by Jack Reardon from Clonmel. All the actors are starting to arrive now and our makeup lady, Mary Morrissey, she is there and doing all the fellas. She does their makeup and they love it. They love being pampered. They sit back and just relax into it. Ah, she does it. Yeah, lovely job on them. Luckily, the girls generally look after themselves. They all do their own makeup. Liam Hulhan. I'm playing the part of man boy in the play. 
you've got some of the makeup on already. Yeah, Mary doing her level best to knock a couple of years off there. And she does a good job at it too now, it has to be said, and she doesn't have good materials to work with. And that's not her makeup I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, here comes the first customers, 10 to 7. <laughs> and the curtain up at 8. And yeah, on the dot. We're very traditional here, we don't go through booking.com or anything like that so people have to turn up kind of early if they think the play is going well it's as much a gathering as the play is it it is and that's the great thing i mean you when you go around afterwards and see who's here and talk to them and then they meet up with friends as well so it's lovely i like to be here early anyway settle down think about it and think about the lines and where you hope to go with it you know this this play is challenging enough. My character is interacting with the audience more than he's actually interacting with anybody else on stage. There's an atmosphere building. When we first came in it was nice and quiet but now you can hear the volume is slowly starting to increase and then you'll have, which you can't replicate anywhere, the sound of a hall slowly filling and people conversing and you'll have nice low conversations and then they'll start to get a bit louder and then all friends will meet up and there'll be something even louder again. That noise is part of what builds you into the moment of getting out there. And then the silence when you're on stage for one second and the whole place goes quiet and it's all gone. And then you go and you fill that space. Getting my hair done, yeah. It's all to look good on stage. Beauty feels no pain. <laughs> Do I love you, baby? Baby, baby, baby. Now, Eileen Reid, you're ready. Not only is she merely the leading actress, but she also does the hair. So she's putting hairs up in beehives for the singers and the dancers. So I can barely breathe for all the hairsprays and the odorants. <laughs> You're welcome. There's more where that can be. Makeup, hair, outfits, lots of hairspray. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. beehives will be up in a minute. We joined together. Yes, we six, did. Six years ago. Six years. And we had one line each. Yeah. And then year by year, we're giving more and more lines. <laughs> And the buzz, we're loving the buzz. Yeah, yeah. The whole month of January, people are saying, oh, you win the play again this year. Oh, you're practising. How many nights a week are you practising? Lots of questions. Yeah, it's a big, big talking point. Just such an energy. I'm like, we're still half an hour from curtain. You're trying to get the energy up for the show as well. So that's why we're singing a few songs, talking about last night, how it went, how we can make it even better again. And if you have that high energy, it gets to the audience as well. And then the audience get going. And they're and clapping they along. I can do whatever. Yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect. I'm just trying to get somebody else done before you before we get started. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you are go go. So you're about to be the main character and you're doing all the hair. Should we have great fun? It's all part of it, isn't it? Come ready. Be ready. It helps. It doesn't give a chance to get nervous then. So you'd have a lot of lines then? Had plenty lines, yeah. Plenty lines. <laughs> plenty lines. Yeah. And you just hope and trust in your brain that they're there and go with it and she's she's a lot to say in my character in this play really she's a woman of 1969 so it would have been of a time where women were very restricted she knows that they're being wronged how is she going to make her life different to her mother and her grandmother who live with her but we're trying to be our character and trying to get into the music of it, get into the mode of it, get into the tone of it and, and try our best to be as true to our characters as we can. 
this is my third night coming. Uh, I'm a ticket seller, raffle tickets at half time. There's so many involved behind here, isn't there? Everybody in the community is involved at some levels. The people out on the road at the moment are having a very tough time because there's no room to park. There's cars back as far as the eye can see, both sides of the road. And down by the church and school, the actors have uh, put in months and months of work into this cold nights when the hall was freezing cold and now it's time to show their talent and they've been amazing so lots of excitement the table is groaning with goodies we don't do things by half here do we Emma there's a couple of fantastic bakers now on duty tonight there is roulade with fresh raspberries and grated chocolate and freshly whipped cream and various home baked buns and tarts this isn't just to keep the cast going no no it's for the audience after as well we invite them in at the end of the play and people come and have a chat and meet the cast and socialise. It's for King really, isn't it? <laughs> so I still feel like a newbie and it's an apprenticeship of observation. You're just, you're watching the ladies do it. It's second nature to them. You want to make sure you don't let anybody down then. I was in charge of making sandwiches tonight and I was making sure that it was done right, done proper. You want a mixture of things. We're not afraid to try something new like cheese, peppers and chutney. You can't stray too far from a ham sandwich though. Not just Granite, but others around as well. They're keeping the community alive by doing these productions year in, year out. It's all voluntary. It's giving back to our community. This is what we can do. You know, some other people can do great other work, whether it's tidy towns or other clubs. But this is our niche, and this is where we're trying to to do it, aren't we, Kieran? There's a serious side to this story, but also because people know us, you want to make them laugh. It's a complete escape, yeah, and that is. is definitely the draw for us, isn't it? Here's your local hairdresser, and she's going back and names our local farm, and, like, and they enjoy that, seeing yeah. us become somebody else for two hours. When we're on that stage, we know that this is our big moment. This is our Broadway. Everybody's seated. Everybody's ready to go now. How many people have we got, would you say, Joe? Oh, there'd be in excess of 200, I'd say maybe 210, 220, and we'd have that amount for six nights. Buzz, isn't there? The amount of noise when the actors are backstage ready to get going. This noise is really important to them, you know, because it builds the atmosphere, they can hear the crowd, the excitement builds, their nerves are building, their adrenaline is pumping. Looking forward to it myself. It's fall to arrive, Galear. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, big change from last year. There were bombs and bullets flying across the stage. This year we're rock and rolling, it's so much more relaxing. So your exits, two on your right, two on your left, life jackets under the seat, and we're ready to go. And that final extra performance of the Huckle Book by the Grana Players takes place tonight at 8pm in the Community Hall. Follow an incredible demand. Make sure you get there early. Very early. In fact, I would say pack a lunch. Go there now. Start queuing. Um, well done, everybody. And thanks to Dermot McIntyre of Grey Herring Media. Now, here on Countrywide, uh, we've been bringing you news of the protests by farms across Europe over the past few weeks. Now, things have been a little bit quieter this week as farm leaders and policymakers take stock of the situation. And the farmers who are out in the front line of the protests are back home catching up on their farm work. 
Thomas Hegarty is probably particularly glad to be back on his family farm near Limoges in central France after being arrested and spending a night in jail in Paris. He's the president of the local farmers organisation and he joins me on the line now. Hello, Thomas. How are you? Not so bad. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm, am I hearing you clearly there, Thomas? Um, tell me a little Hi, bit definitely. about yourself. You're from Donegal originally, but your family are farming in central France. That's right. Funny, I'm Sean originally, Donegal. And uh, farming now in France, yep. This last, I suppose, 17 or 18 years. And how did that happen? <laughs> well, just my mother <laughs> and father just went... Wasn't 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 enough land at home. There was uh, there was four four children. Five, three of us were interested in farming. They knew they knew rightly that but wasn't enough land and you know better opportunities but they had they had abroad. So they went for a lock and found what they're looking for and we just moved out. Wow, and that that is a big transition. And what kind of a farm have you got there? What are you farming? Uh, we're, we have uh, lemons and cattle and uh, dairy goats. And the milk goes from making cheese, goat's cheese. And you obviously haven't lost the Donegal accent. How how is that? <laughs> Everybody says that. Yeah. Um, like how long are you there the again? Just, Sorry, Thomas. How long are you there? Seventeen or two, 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 six. So I don't know, seventeen or eighteen years. Oh my God, you really haven't really? lost it. No. How how come? No. <laughs> well, um, I I wouldn't be back very often at all, but. Um, just among ourselves, we're always, you know, we speak English at home, so we just never lost the accent and sort of keep contact with people too. And I don't know, we just never lose it. Some people lose their accent, but we, we didn't. No, you definitely it's, didn't. But now, if we, if we can go to the protests, if you don't mind. Um, yep. You joined the convoy uh, heading to Paris. At what, what stage did. did you join it at and why were you motivated to join it in the first place? Well, for the week uh, the week before the protest, the, the convoy to Paris, we were, we were out protesting the motorway um, and blocking roads and stuff. And um, it just felt like we just we weren't getting very far with it. You know, we were disrupting a lot of a lot of people's you know going about the daily business. So we decided we go go to Paris instead, just make uh, make a beeline for Paris to the Rungis Market. Mm. And um, that's where we went. It just took us a while to get there, but we we joined on the second day in Limoges and. We were there to, we were there until Friday. And you, you, convoy, you got right in because you were um, arrested there. Tell me, what what was it like actually getting there? Were you in a tractor, or how how did you travel? We uh, we put two tractors on the on the, on the back of a lorry on a low loader, and we headed up. We just followed on behind them. Now on the way there, it wasn't easy at all. We had all sorts of armoured police and whatnot. We're trying to block motorways to keep us to keep us out of the out of Paris, keep us from moving at all in the motorway. So we had to end up wrecking out of the motorway, um, opening a fence and, and going through the through a hedge, getting on to sit backwards and just we split the group up into three different lumps, and that uh, kept the police busy with the tractors and we just shot ahead with the jeeps and vans and lorries to get to to get to the market in Paris. And and then when you got there, you ended up getting arrested. What well, was that like? They said we'd never get there. Well, <laughs> they said we'd never get there. That the, the security was going to be, you know, very very high uh, level security and yeah. like a nuclear power plant. Nobody nobody's going to get into it. Well, I don't know. I, I hope they I hope they're wrong because we we just we got there and just walked into it like it were 
like, it was nothing at all. It just there was no gates or nothing. We just walked in, opened the uh, opened the door, and started having a look around. And just at that, well, it's hard to uh, we didn't get a count of them now, but there was I would safely say about two hundred and fifty or three hundred uh, police turned up, and that was the end of that. We, everybody everybody who was in uh, in one of the buildings got got arrested. And were you charged? No, well, we uh, we were just we were put in for the night to keep us out of out of out of, out of mischief for the sounds of because there was they said we damaged uh, entries, damaged doors or stuff like that, but not, nothing was ever broke. Um, they let us out the next morning with no charge, um, so we're free to go. So you're there back was no, to there was nothing. Mm, back to the goats then, and just what what would you want to see? happening that would allow you to stop protesting? Like, because obviously there's a lot of emotion involved in this as well. Well, Slack, if if, if the French government were, and, and, Europe, and Europe too, were to just cut farmers slack, let them, let, let us get on with what we're, what we're good at. Uh, less red tape, less paperwork, just less torture. There's, there's far too much, far too much paperwork and torture involved in farming now. Just put you, put, put you off it all together. No, it's just sickening you if you were, you know, if you're thinking about it too much, you would, you would, that would damage your mental health. You know, just, just the torture of it. If they just let us get on with what we're, we're good at and, and let us be. And it is a long way from Inishon to central uh, Paris to end up a night in jail. It's been fascinating, Thomas, hearing your take on it and, and hearing your journey. Um, keep well and we appreciate you talking to us this morning on Countrywide. That's Thomas Hegarty there, live from Lemos in central Paris. Now, um, just before we finish, we, we were talking about midterm and here's another little idea for midterm. The uh, vast Joyce country and Western Lakes is an applicant for the UNESCO recognition. So the geopark extends across Connemara and southwest Mayo. So this area, if you can just think about how vast it is, it's crisscrossed by walking trails, including the old pagan route and pilgrimage path of Maumain. Laura Siggins joined the first ever geopath trail hike and began chatting to ge- geologist Dr Ben Tableau and he explained why he thinks this is a whispering landscape. If you take the time to walk slow and look at around you at what you're walking on at, at the landscape and the flowers and the plants you are going to get a lot more. You're going to get uh, the information on all the aspects of heritage, natural and cultural, starting with the rocks that are really the basics for forming our landscape, millions, hundreds of million years old, and these interacting then with soil, with then living things, plants and animals, and finally with us people. So... We tell all of those stories in, in the geopark and on this trail in particular. The black colour, why, why is that just a, some of the That's the chemicals, yeah. yeah. So as, as geologists, when you look at rock in a place, especially like Ireland, you can always be sure that the colour that you see is not the actual colour of the rock, which is why people in, you will take a fresh sample, which is why we hammer the rock and you look what it looks inside. Um, I'm just looking at the uh, the cutaway bog here. This 
area, if you like, the, all this area is blanket bog and it's Atlantic blanket bog. And blanket bog is called blanket bog because it literally blankets the mountainside. It can be from 50 centimetres deep up to five metres deep. Um, when you're walking on, on a bog, the main springiness that, that gives, that, that it give, the main plant that gives the springiness is, sphag is sphagnum moss. And we have over 30 different varieties of sphagnum here in Ireland. And you'd really need to be looking at them under a microscope to be able to distinguish some of them. We have a, a little bit here. Thank you very much, Ben. Now, um, when you're walking on the bog, you will feel the springiness and it's also very wet. Sphagnum holds 25 times its own weight in water. So that's why the bog is never totally dry. It's always wet. Even at the driest of summers, you can get a nice wet pool in, in the actual bog. Um, Bogs are very interesting places. If you're not a child, I've been hauled onto the bog and cuffing it in a number of years. Um, but in general, they are very interesting places because... Carol Reynolds, education officer with Connemara National Park, was fascinating about the time capsule qualities of bogs, finding bog bodies and bog butter, and we then headed up the Maumain Geopark Trail. This is the church. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Little Patrick and Bridget. Oh yeah. So Dominic O'Moran, you're a tourism development officer with the Geopark project and now we're in the little church. It's beautiful. It's incredibly curated by a wonderful local committee. And you have a story about Patrick and Crum Dove. So when you look out from the oratory in Maumain, you're looking across this wonderful Corrie Lake and one of the stories is that Patrick and Crum Dove, who would have been the deity at the time, were having an argument about presumably the souls of the wonderful Connemara people and the joyous country people and they were fighting us as they want and eventually Crum Do was tired and sat down playing with his dog one day and Patrick saw this and so Patrick decided the only way that he could get over or take advantage of this man was by stealing in one evening taking his dog and drowning him unfortunately in, in the lake and Crum Do was heartbroken and crestfallen and went to the top of the mountain which is now called Bindquina the crying mountain and Patrick took over this one here yeah straight across so yeah Patrick wasn't so nice uh, sure at times <coughs> as is their want they had to take advantage of situations and everything like that so after Dominic closed the church Trish Walsh one of the Geoparks founders introduced me to Jack Hanley who worked in nearby Cain's Bar and Mom and has inherited the minding of the Maumain Trail I've lived here all my life in the, in the tranquility of the Man Valley. A very rough weather at times here, yet in the summertime it's absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. As you can see, it's just opening up now as well, the fog is lifting. And uh, you're in one of the roughest places that you can get in Connemara. Where you're standing now actually was known as the Styra, in English, the staircase. There was resting stones here because they used to bring coffins and the remains of people across the mountain here to be buried in the Brienang graveyard, which is which is across from where you turned up to the left here now. So there were stones there, resting stones all the way down, and they were all carried shoulder high right across the mountain. Amara folk met yeah, here yeah. with kind of maybe merrymaking and the drinking of pochin and faction fights. So they used to have tents. They, have, tents they were called a post of tents. Yeah that time yeah 
and there was just have another one in 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 Mam. Then the kind of little festivals. Yeah, it was a festival. Up, up it was merry making and fun. Yeah, yeah. Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. it up here, you know. Yeah. And uh, I worked in a bar, restaurant, shop. I'm an undertaker as well, by the way. Oh, you're an undertaker. Oh, I am. Yes, I looked after the living and the dead. And Jack, the late Father Michael McGrail, he's handed over the keys of the pilgrimage trail to you. He has, yes, for my sins. And he said, "You look after it." And he pointed the finger, you know. Thank you very much, Jack. A pleasure indeed. So you're heading off now on your quad? I am. Okay. God bless you, take care. Thank you, Jack. Slán agus bannach. Slán agus that was Jack Handley, resident in the Mam Turks and minder of Mam Main Pil- Pilgrimage Walk, talking with Laura Sings there. And you can find out more about the proposed new geopark on JoyceCountryGeoparkProject.ie. Well, that is all we have time for this week. Eileen Hearn produced, Amadine Passer Divine was our BCO. Damien Chanel's was on sound. Playback with Sinead Mooney is up next. Philip is back with you next week. And until then, as always, thanks for listening and have a very pleasant weekend. Countrywide on RTE Radio 1. Listen back on the RTE Radio Player.